The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Ecclesia, this is Pastor Chris, and I'm thrilled today to be able to teach you uh, from the Holy Land. I am in Nazareth, in the area of Galilee. Nazareth, you may realize, you likely do. If you're new to church, uh, welcome. We're excited to tell you about Jesus. And Jesus was from a place called Nazareth. In fact, um, we're not only looking out over Nazareth, I'm standing in the place on Mount Precipice. Uh, where the event that I'm gonna share with you today from Luke chapter four, it happened right here. It's a pretty cool honor to teach the scripture in the place that it was taught. And today, uh, we are continuing a series we've been in called Exodus for All. And the reality is that we're calling each of us to freedom, saying we wanna be a people that are free and emancipated from the things that keep us in slavery. And uh, the reality is that we all have Pharaohs and we owe Pharaoh nothing. Today, I'm gonna pick up in Luke chapter four. And this passage occurred right here. And this is what it tells us in the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus eventually came to his hometown, Nazareth. He'd been out doing ministry, performing miracles, and he came back home and did there what he had done elsewhere in Galilee. He entered the synagogue and he stood up to read from the Hebrew scriptures. The synagogue attendant gave him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and Jesus unrolled it to the place where Isaiah had written these words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The eternal one is on me. Why? Because the eternal designated me, Jesus says, to be his representative to the poor, to preach the good news to them. He sent me to tell those who are held captive that they can now be set free and to tell the blind that they can now see. He sent me to liberate those held down by oppression. In short, the spirit is upon me to proclaim that now is the time this is the Jubilee season of the eternal one's grace. Now at first, as Jesus was reading the scriptures, all of his friends and family, people that knew him in his hometown, they were just impressed. They were impressed by the way that he read the scriptures. They were impressed by his presence. And then they started to think about what he read. And you could almost feel it in the synagogue. It was like a wait for it, wait for it. They were impressed. They were no longer impressed. In fact, they went from being impressed to being angry. In fact, some of the people started to say really simply, isn't this Joseph's son? This is just that kid. That's the kid we used to see kicking the ball, right? They were like, that's just the kid. And you begin to wonder, why, why did they turn? And then Jesus could feel it. And he came back to them. And in some ways, Ecclesia, you gotta know, um, Jesus was just being Jesus. But then he started to do what Jesus does. He started to talk about outsiders. And he started telling stories from the Hebrew scriptures about outsiders. People didn't wanna hear those stories. In fact, not only did the people in his hometown start to get angry, um, something that Jesus said must have really triggered them. What we know from that story is that they not only uh, started to, to feel their tempers rise, they literally created a mob scene. They took Jesus and they ran him up on this mountain, mount, the mountain of precipice. We know it's this mountain because there just aren't 
big mountains around here. And what it tells us is they were ready to push him off a cliff. What you can't see where I'm standing is that if I went four feet over, I'm done for, right? It's a significant cliff. It's a big fall off. And what we know is somehow Jesus then uh, was able to escape and make his way through the crowd. It wasn't his time to die and he wasn't supposed to die in his hometown. So you begin to wonder, you hear that story and you go, Jesus read from the scroll of Isaiah and then he talks about stories from the Old Testament about outsiders and it made people so angry that they were ready to kill him. The kid that they knew, he was reading in the synagogue, like what kind of synagogue is this? Obviously, there's so much more to this story. And what you may have heard, it may have just um, glanced by you, but as Jesus declared that he was the one to stand up for the poor and the oppressed, to set people free, he said, as he read from the scroll of Isaiah, he was there to declare that this would be the year of Jubilee. Now, if you remember in the Old Testament, there were designated times every seven years, and then every 50 years was a sweeping time of a remittance of any debt. It'd be wiped clean. People that were in debt would no longer have anything on their account. Can you imagine opening your uh, credit card statement? You probably don't open it anymore because we're paperless now. You pull it up on your phone and it went from being a huge amount to all of a sudden it was the year of Jubilee and it went to zero. That was a big deal. And God declared that this is how the system would be set up, that the Hebrew people every seven years and then every 50 years would have periods that people's debt would be wiped out. Now, there were probably some people in the synagogue that held debt with other people, right? Some of those folks were going, wait, this is the year of Jubilee? (laughs) You're you're telling me I'm not gonna get paid back? You're telling me that the people that I've been uh, charging interest, that I'm not gonna get that money anymore? It's about the only thing that could get people fired up enough to wanna push you off a cliff, right? And what we know is it tells us in Deuteronomy 5, uh, and when it explains why we would do this Jubilee, why would it be? And in Deuteronomy, God declares, this is why we will have a jubilee. He says, because you need to remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. Now, if you hear that just quickly, you may go, what what does one have to do with the other? Well, uh, we know from our journey in Exodus that God's people became slaves in Egypt because they began with debt to Pharaoh. And God was declaring in Deuteronomy, in his law and in his way, that he wouldn't allow a predatory economy, an economy where people could be exploited. They could get in debt because they're hungry and they need to feed their kids. And the next thing you know, the interest rates have gotten to the place that they're literally in bondage and in slavery. And God was saying, you were once slaves, so you won't do this. You're gonna live by a different ethic. You're gonna live into a different economy. You're not going to treat people this way. But what happens? He says, you'll forget. If you forget that you were once slaves in Egypt, then you'll do those kind of things. Ecclesia, one of the reasons that many of us are caught in the wilderness, that we can't get out, is we've lost this sense of memory. Now, if you've ever been with someone that you love, uh, maybe uh, like my great-grandmother, uh, we called her Mamaw, she was Mamaw Baldwin. She was my uh, grandfather on my mom's side, mother. And uh, we were close. We were kind of kindred spirits in some ways. She was a tough, smart woman. Uh, she wasn't afraid of anything. And, uh, and in the years leading up to her death, she experienced what some of your loved ones have experienced. She, uh, she was still reasonably physically healthy, but she was, had an onset of dementia and Alzheimer's. And to watch her body still be strong enough to function, but her, her memory was just not there. It was debilitating. In fact, I would tell you, it felt catastrophic. When you go sit with somebody you love 
and she didn't know if it was me or sometimes I was her son, uh, sometimes I was her husband. Um, she would get really confused. She was a, a very strict Baptist woman, and I knew it was a problem when I showed up to visit her one day. I was in college. This is about a year before her death, and she told me, Chris, get me some scotch. And I said, Mama, you don't drink scotch. I need scotch. I said, well, okay. So I go, and I, I go to the liquor store. I buy some scotch. I come back. Uh, she's in a different state of mind now. She's like, what are you doing with scotch in my house, right? I'm a Baptist woman. I don't drink scotch. Um, again, if you've been through this, all you can do is laugh. But at the end of the day, when you lose that sense of memory, you, you can't do much. It's as though, and I believe Ecclesia, we have the same problem. Like my grandmother, we have like a spiritual Alzheimer's disease. We've, we've just forgotten. And in the book of Hosea, it tells the story of God's people, God's people being unfaithful. It's told in poetry and it's beautiful poetry. And what it tells us in Hosea 2 is that this, um, this unfaithful bride uh, prettys herself and she goes out to pursue her other lovers. But in the same verse it says, and, and, and you can feel almost God's pain in it. And the, the tragedy is that she has forgotten me. Uh, God speaks to his people and says, you're gonna be destroyed because you've forgotten the Torah. You've forgotten the 10 commandments. You've forgotten the law that I gave you. And because you've forgotten it, it's going to lead you ultimately to destruction. In this story, we hear uh, the pain of one who says, this is what it feels like to be forgotten. I've loved you, I've walked with you. In fact, in Hosea 13, God's speaking and he says, it was I who established the relationship with you in the wilderness. I who looked after you in that parched and weary land. And he says, when I fed them, they were satisfied, but when they were satisfied, they were filled with pride and they forgot me. Hear this, Ecclesia, when we become satisfied, when he says in the desert, I, I fed you bread, I fed you all that you need, and all of a sudden you were satisfied, and when you were satisfied, you thought, I'll do okay on my own. Then he said, you became prideful, and then after pride, what happens? You forgot me. The truth is, Ecclesia, this is what we all do. We encounter God in a big and significant way. God steps in and uh, leans into our story and brings healing and hope and rescues us from difficult times. And yet, it can be a week later, and we got a new problem, and we've kind of forgotten what God has done. In Deuteronomy 6, God addresses His people as they've come out of Exodus, and this is what He says. Eventually, I'm gonna take you to the Promised Land, and you'll have houses filled with good things waiting for you, cisterns to hold the water already dug out of rock for you, vineyards and olive plants. He says, when this happens, be very, very careful. Don't forget it was the Eternal One who brought you out of Egypt where you were slaves. And he seems to be saying to us today as we make our own journey and our own exodus, the tendency is going to be for you and I to forget. And if we forget, then we find ourselves much like the children of Israel, roaming the same ground in the wilderness over and over and over again. So if you're tired of running in the same circles, making the same mistakes, what do we do to try to gain a sense of memory what do we do to reorient ourselves and saturate ourselves in the narrative of God? I got three things I wanna share with you, Ecclesia. I wanna invite you to practice these with me. The first is really simple, it's in the Bible. It's what Jesus called us to do. He said, just like God had spoken in the Old Testament, he said, my fear is that you're gonna forget. So what did he do? He called his disciples together for the Passover. What was the Passover about? It was about remembering the Exodus. Passover is the time 
that they'd gather and have one of the greatest barbecues you could possibly have. Even Texans have to take their hat off to Hebrews and say, that looks like a great barbecue. And he said, we're gonna celebrate what I did for you with a great barbecue. And you're gonna, you're gonna barbecue a lamb perfectly. It's gonna be a sacrifice to God. And you're gonna tell your kids the story of how I brought you out of Egypt. When Jesus gathered his disciples for the Passover, he had everything they needed for the Passover except the lamb, right? We, we hear the narrative and we go, wait, wasn't that the Passover? Wasn't the meat the main thing? Texans know this, like meat is the primary part of a barbecue. You can't have a barbecue without meat. Like if you've just got tofu and corn, that's not a barbecue, that's something else. I don't know what to call it, but it's not that. Jesus called his disciples together for the Passover and he was declaring, I'm the lamb. Ecclesia, every time we celebrate the Eucharist, he says, I want you to do this and I want you to remember me. We're retraining ourselves to be a people that no longer have memory loss. We're retraining ourselves to be a people that leave amnesia behind and move forward in a world where we remember what God has done and who he is. Come to church, celebrate the Eucharist. Remember what God has done for you and for all of his people. Secondly, we wanna be a people that tell God's story. What did Moses do after they crossed the Red Sea and they were beginning their journey? What we know is that it tells us in Exodus 18 that he went to meet his father-in-law, Jephro. And his father-in-law, when he came out to meet him, he saw him and he bowed down before Jethro and he kissed him. And they asked each other how the other was doing. And then they went into Moses' tent. And verse eight tells us that Moses told Jethro the whole story. He told him everything that the eternal had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians on behalf of Israel. He told him about all the misery and tribulations they'd run into during their long journey. And when he told him how the eternal one had rescued them, Jethro was thrilled to hear of all the kindness the eternal had shown Israel. And it tells us in that passage that Jethro began to celebrate and praise the eternal. Now, you may remember who Jethro is. He was Moses' father-in-law, but he was also a priest, not a priest to the one true God. He was a priest to many other pagan gods. When we imagine what Moses did, I long to be a person that could be in that tent. This is one of those places in the Bible where we just get a verse and I'd love to hear the whole story. It tells us that they stepped into the tent together and Moses started to tell him the story. He just started to recall, this is what happened, Jethro, my father-in-law, when we were approaching the Red Sea, right? I can't even imagine the stories he would tell her. This is what it felt like when uh, I saw God bring down a plague. And I knew at that moment, right, that God was up to something beautiful and good, or this is what it felt like to stand up to Pharaoh, the one with all the power, and he could have killed me, and yet somehow God protected me. And when Jethro heard the story of what God had done for his people, he said, these other gods I've been worshiping, these are not the one true God. And he turned, and he focuses his attention and his worship to the one true God. If you want to be a person that remembers, this is what you have to do. Like Moses, you need to tell your story. You have a story of what God's done. And what's gonna happen is that when you tell your story, others are gonna remind you what God's done for you. And it's the best thing you can do in inviting other people into God's story as well. Thirdly, we hear this in Deuteronomy 6. If you want to remember, this is what God says to do in Deuteronomy 6, do whatever it takes. Literally, God says to his people, tie a reminder on your hand, right? You need to put a string on your hand, then do it. And bind a reminder on your forehead where you'll see it all the time. You can put it on the doorpost where you cross over. 
we often see Jewish brothers and sisters that have done exactly this. They post reminders on their doorpost. They wear a little phylactery with scripture on their head. And it may look silly, but it's their way to say, we don't need to forget. We've learned what happens as a people when we forget what God's done. Now, I'm not suggesting you have to put a little box on your forehead. It's not a bad idea to post something on your mirror or your uh, doorpost that you're gonna see on a regular basis. But this is what God says in Deuteronomy 6, and it's what I'd remind you today, and I'm reminding myself. Do whatever it takes to remember. If we get spiritual amnesia, if we forget what God's done, we'll find ourselves making the same mistakes over and over and over again. So Ecclesia, I wanna invite one of our dear sisters, a beloved Ecclesian, uh, Erica Graham. Erica is a longtime Ecclesian. She's been around from the Taft days. She's also uh, a co-founder with her husband, Garrett Graham of Project 88. They've been working for justice in our city in some ways that are really meaningful. Erica's gonna share part of her story and trying to remember God in her own journey and that she's gonna lead us to communion, to the Eucharist, where together we remember as a people. So welcome our sister, Erica. So um, as Chris mentioned, my husband and I stumbled across Ecclesia back in the Taft days, which I now wear like a badge of honor. They're, they're, us Taft people find each other still. But um, we were at Taft, we moved to Elder, and then I heard about this new place called the West Side, and I got kind of excited about it. And we came to check it out, and I looked to my left, and I saw a table full of tacos. <laughs> and I helped myself, why not? And I sat down and I took a bite, and I closed my eyes as I was chewing, and I looked at my husband and I said, what is this? And he said, it's a chorizo, like I should know that. And I had my first chorizo on the West Side campus, and I realized in that moment that Jesus is alive and well in this space. <laughs> so I am a West Sider, and I was converted by a chorizo. <laughs> Fact. But in all seriousness, um, I was lucky enough to go on that Holy Land trip, and I think we have a photo. That is Pastor Chris, my mom, our nonprofit secretary, shout out, uh, my mom and me. And um, we are on Mount Precipice where Chris gave that sermon. And I think right behind us, there was an attempted murder of a man that we love. And I think on Palm Sunday, we remember a time where Jesus was praised for standing up for the poor and standing up for this idea of jubilee. And then this is such a stark reminder that there were other times where the consequence for doing the right thing was getting people very angry to the point where your safety is threatened and people are trying to murder you. And I know in my personal life, that's something I struggle with. I, see, one thing you need to know about me is I love to be liked. And one of my mentors is here, Judy, and I, I call Judy all the time and I say, you know, I know this is the right thing to do, but it's gonna make some people mad. And I hate making people mad. And then I think of this story and Jesus just did what was right regardless of when people got mad. 
Even if, he, even if the consequence was as severe as being thrown off a mountain. And no one's even trying to throw me off a mountain. They just might not like me. And so I think it's such a good reminder of, especially on Palm Sunday, that when you do what's right, sometimes it comes with praise. And your praise on a donkey riding into Jerusalem, like Palm Sunday. And other times it comes at the cost of an attempted murder. Um, this idea of jubilee, I love um, how Jesus talked about it. And when Chris um, said, when you open up the, your bank account, um, I think that's so relatable. And it reminds me of Fati. Fati is this creative, funny, ambitious high school girl. And if you met Fati, you'd be like, I just, she's just cool. I want to be like Fati. And when Fatih went to high school, she was determined to be the first one in her family to graduate from college. Her parents did not get a high school diploma, so a college degree was really going to change the trajectory for her family. So through high school, she got all A's, and she said, if I graduate from college, there's a good chance my three younger siblings will, and we're going to escape this generational poverty that so many of our families are stuck in. And so when Fatih got admitted to Regis in Boston and got a ton of scholarships and financial aid, she was so excited. She fell in love with the city of Boston on her visit. And at registration, she declared she was going to go there. At registration, they hit her with some news she was not prepared for. Despite all of her scholarships, Fatih was still going to owe $20,000 a year because this was an expensive university. And so she thought, okay, a lot of students take out loans. I'll be one of those kids. I'm going to take out student loans. I'm going to get two jobs, work full time, take 16 credits. It's going to be a tough four years, but I'm going to do it. And that's exactly what she did. She took out student loans. She got two jobs, and the combined hours were equal to full time. So she basically had a full time job, took 16 credits. And that first semester, she got all A's while working full-time. Second semester, all A's sprinkled in with a couple B's. But that second semester, the paychecks that were once going towards her living expenses and loans were going back home towards her family because her family was in a financial crisis, a medical crisis, and they were used to having Fatih's help. And so Fatih gave them her credit card information because honestly, her family really needed it. Her siblings needed it. But her credit score got ruined and she was no longer able to take out student loans. And if any of you guys went to Edwards Cinema to watch a, to watch a movie last year here in Houston, there's a really good chance Fatih took your ticket because she dropped out. She's at Edwards. She's trying to pay off her debt that she owes Regis. Regis will not release her college credits until they have the money. 
so she can't transfer to another college. And so I think of this idea of Jubilee, and we talk about it like it's an ancient concept, and yet I just think, what would Jubilee, if, if a season of Jubilee had come to Fatih while she was at college, and her debt was restored back to zero, what would she be doing right now? Would she have an internship with a company? What would her major be? What would her future plans be? What would, her, would her family be so proud at graduation? I don't know, it never happened, right? And the season of Jubilee, I just think of the power. Um, and you would think that these stories would inspire me to do the work we do with our nonprofit, which is to get more college advisors in Houston public schools that are trained and really able to counsel students through smart financial decisions. So you would think I'd be just like on fire after knowing stories like Fatih's to do the work that we do. But I gotta tell you, after we landed from this Holy Lands trip, there's something called jet lag. I don't know, I don't travel that much, but I was tired. And I volunteered to go to a career fair um, at a high school here in Houston. And I was driving to this career fair and I was like, I'm overcommitted, I'm tired, why'd I say yes to this? It's so nice outside, what am I doing? But once I got there, I saw my classroom, and as a former teacher, there is nothing better than seeing a classroom waiting for you. And I put stickers on each desk with a question to ponder, and I put a warm-up activity, and I was so excited for my class to arrive. So I stood at that front door, the first bell rang, and all the students flooded into the hallways. And I got excited. I thought, I wonder what students I'm going to meet. I wonder if they'll be interested in what I present. Second bell rings. All the students flood to the classrooms around me. And my classroom is still empty. And so I'm thinking, yeah, that's, that's a picture of, of me waiting for my classroom. It's, that, that's going to be a joke later. You'll, you'll find the irony of this picture pretty soon. But, so, I'm, so I have an empty classroom. And I'm thinking, you know, I volunteered my time, and they didn't even put me on the schedule this year. And here I am giving up a whole Saturday, I'm tired. And so I go find the organizer, and I say, Jordan, you forgot to put me in the program this year. And she looks at the program, and she goes, oh, oh no, you're, you're in the program. We just have some really interesting speakers. <laughs> I'm like, that's cool. I, nobody picked my classroom is what turned out to happen. And the irony of that is, you can put that photo back up there. Um, 10 minutes prior, this is how you know social media is full of lies. 10 minutes prior, I'd posted a picture and it was like, can't wait for my students to arrive. And nobody arrived, arrived for that pathetic girl. Nobody. So social media is full of lies. Spoiler alert. But um, so on my way back to my empty classroom, there was one student in the hallway. And I spotted him. And I was like, hey, buddy, are you looking for classroom 202C? And he's like, no. And I'm like, you totally are. I'm so much fun. Come on in. So now I have one student. And we have to kill 40 minutes, just me and him. And I'm like, should I give him a PowerPoint and pretend like I'm not a loser? 
or should we just sit down and hang out? So we sit down and we just talk. I don't even talk about my career. We talk about life. And he tells me about his family. And we make a list of everything that he's good at. And he's good at maintaining relationships. And he's a really good pet owner, so that means he's kind of responsible. We made a whole list of what he's good at. And we were laughing, and all of a sudden, just as the bell was about to ring, he looks up at me with tears in his eyes, and he said, I can't read. And I, I didn't know what to say. Because everything we had just planned required a 15-year-old to be able to read. And I thought that was so brave of him to say, because I know that was embarrassing and hard. And so I told him, you know it's not your fault, right? And he shrugged his shoulders. And the bell rang, and my next class came in. I had a couple students the next class. But I couldn't stop thinking about him. The next three sessions that I taught, I just thought about that kid. And I got his phone number, luckily, but as I'm driving home, I'm thinking this concept of spiritual amnesia that Chris talked about, you don't even know when you're in it. Because on my way there, I'm like, I'm tired. Uh, I, was, I just traveled internationally, I'm tired. I should not be, have to go to a school right now. And I'm thinking, gross. Like, get over yourself. You can't give up a Saturday when you're tired, and Jesus would literally be murdered off a mountain for that same cause. And so I think it's such a good reminder that spiritual amnesia, sometimes it takes a comment like, I can't read, to realize that you're in it. And then you wake up and think, Holy cow, if, if, I, if I can't be spiritually awake coming home from the Holy Lands, I don't know when I'm going to be. And so I also think that the examples I've given today of, of being spiritually awake, I think it's easy to talk about that in the space of a nonprofit, but I truly believe that if you are spiritually awake, it doesn't matter what you do. It matters how you're doing it. Um, I met this guy named Frank on the Holy Lands trip. And Frank and I became fast friends. And that first day, Frank told me, he said, I think it'd be so awesome to be a barista because if you think about it, coffee makes people happy every day. And I was like, Frank, I want to be a barista now. Like that, I, I can't think of anything better than coffee. I, I'm depressed without coffee. And so I thought about this, and I got a text from my friend when I was on the bus, sitting next to Frank later that day. And she said, hey, I saw you in a picture with Dr. Lin. He's that keynote that we went to hear speak at that luncheon that we went to together. And I looked at Frank, and I said, Frank, I want to hear you speak. You're like one of the top pediatric oncologists in Houston, and you want to be a barista. And he said, I know. <laughs> and I think that's such a good example that it doesn't necessarily matter what you're doing. It matters why you're doing it and if you're spiritually awake when you do it. Whether you're one of the top cancer doctors or whether you're a barista, 
If you're spiritually awake, that work, ma- that work matters. And so I think that story's a good reminder. I think of a lunch lady, like serving hundreds of students, feeding hundreds of bodies a day so that they can grow and learn and experience without being hungry. Like what is more sacred than a lunch lady? Or I think of our accountant who's able to take chaos of numbers and put it into order. Like what is more sacred than bringing order to chaos? As somebody that doesn't like numbers and I straight up don't understand numbers, when our accountant sends me spreadsheets and I open them, I'm just like, Lisa is amazing because I don't really understand this. And she'll ask me, did you read it? I'm like, yes, Lisa, but no, I just know you're smart. Um, I think of a pilot, like somebody who is directing us in a metal tube up in the sky and is gonna transport us to a different place on our planet so that we can experience the culture and food and learn about our global community. So I truly think that no matter what work you do, when you're spiritually awake to the purpose of it, that your work is sacred. And it's not so much what you do, it's how you're able to avoid that amnesia. And I have to say, this is my favorite part. One thing I love about being an Ecclesian is that we at this church, we pray and we pray well, but we also do. And I gotta tell you, after I first told that story at a sermon at Elder last week, uh, Pastor Chris came up to me after and he said, I don't know what it's gonna take, but Ecclesia is gonna pool our resources together and we're gonna make sure Fatih enrolls back in school this year. So I'm super excited about that. And I think that's just one of the many reasons that I love being a part of this church specifically is because this church prays, but they're always finding ways to act in this city and in this world. So Ecclesia, let me pray with you. Dear God, as we enter spring in a new season of our life, I pray that you will remind us to walk with a sense of jubilee, looking for spaces, places, and people to pour into and restore back to liberation. I pray that as we do this, we will be a people that aims to be spiritually awake in all we do so that the work we do becomes a part of your sacred project and that we can avoid that spiritual amnesia that we also often find ourselves in. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.